0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending April 15th, 2023. This week, Max offers less. I'm Kim Hollis, proud owner of four Flurkin. Flurkins? What is the plural of Flurkin anyway?
1: nobody has ever lived long enough to know.
0: (laughs) With me are Tim Bridey, content creator and gamer, dragging things across concrete.
2: (laughs) What does this mean? Stay tuned for the ratings and watch me lose my mind.
0: (laughs) David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and very much looking forward to Tim's impending ratings meltdown. Wait for it! (laughs) and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial who's got no time for this nonsense we've got real news people let's go all right this week the spotlights on Warner Brothers Discovery as they unveiled their new streaming service Max. Oh give us the bullet points
3: All right, here we go. The new streaming service, we all knew what it was going to be called. It's going to be called Max. We'll pick up where HBO Max left off. It'll cost the same, but there is a new higher price tier that'll allow for more than two simultaneous streams and no one's going to sign up for it.
1: Higher price? That's bad. (laughs) Yes.
3: It'll incorporate Discovery Plus content and we'll come back to that in a moment. More content, but it's
1: Discovery Plus and we'll call that a draw.
3: And the new service will go live May 23rd. If you're already an HBO Max subscriber, you don't have to do anything. It'll just become Max overnight. And a myriad of new shows were announced, including some that we already knew were coming. We saw a sneak peek of the upcoming spinoff from The Batman, The Penguin, with Colin Farrell reprising his role as the Gotham City crime boss. And the Tiny Toons reboot, Tiny Toons Luniversity, has been confirmed.
1: Wait. Wait, that would be good news for Warner Brothers Discovery. What the hell? That
0: was like we wished it into existence almost.
3: <laughs> Something had emerged about this way back in June of last year and nobody noticed. And so we'd all been waiting saying, where's the Tiny Toons reboot? Apparently it's been on its way for a while now. There's a Big Bang Theory spinoff.
1: I mean kind of. They're going to call something else Big Bang Theory and then try and throw enough money at the original cast that they might appear once a season. It's it's <laughs> you know, How I Met Your Father Part 2. Oh god.
3: There's an animated Gremlins series, Secrets of the Mogwai. We saw Jodie Foster in the trailer to True Detective Night Country, which I think to me was the highlight of that presentation. It was awesome. Kate Winslet has landed another prestige series with The Regime, and Robert Downey Jr. produces and appears in multiple supporting roles in The Sympathizer, Tempting Fate. Max will have a new Game of Thrones prequel, A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight, which has the word knight one too many times in the title.
1: Yeah, that's that book about the egg. I don't
3: claim to understand it, but they're going to do this. So <laughs> the Smartless podcast crew, Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett will go on a road trip in Smartless on the road. It's essentially a concert series where they do their show before live audiences and bring on guests like David Letterman and Will Ferrell. Magnolia stars Chip and Joanna Gaines, who wanted to wash the Discovery stink off their brand when they jumped to HBO Max but can't shake their roots, will bring us Fixer Upper, the hotel, where they, yep, you guessed it, fix up a hotel.
1: I mean, that just makes me sad for them. That's like, you know, some sort of purgatory tale. Oh, we finally escaped. Now we're back where we started. (laughs) (laughs)
3: and now we're going down the discovery rabbit hole as we get barbie dream home challenge where a team of professional builders try to recreate barbie's dream home in human scale
1: so what i'm hearing
3: is synergy if they move fast enough i mean this that can be very timely and finally there's love and translation where three hunky american men date 12 women from around the world don't speak English. I am glad though you explained the
2: difference between the tiers role at the beginning because all I saw was the price points with no context. There was 10 bucks a month for the ad supported tier called Max Ad Light. Max Ad Free is $16 a month or there's $20 a month for Max Ultimate Ad Free. And I
1: saw those on Twitter and I was like, well, I have questions. Well, for $29.99 a month, you also get a Harry Potter series. So there's that. <laughs>
3: That's the one. That was the big announcement. We can't avoid it. HBO Max. Sorry. Max has officially announced their upcoming new Harry Potter series. Ten seasons of Harry Potter are coming to Max.
1: Yeah, Kim and I were talking about this before the podcast. and This isn't a joke. This is like a real thing. If your child gets a role in this series, on one hand, you know, it's wonderful because your child will be famous their entire life. On the other hand, you're going to miss their entire upbringing. That's not a joke. They will be cast at the age of like eight years old. They'll be 18 when this ends. So I have so many questions about this. It's like they're trying to promise Harry Potter fans, please sign up for the next 10 years. We will give you this one thing you love. But they haven't put any thought into what it means. By the time these kids are 13, they're going to be begging out of their contracts.
3: And not for nothing, but pretty much every British actor we have ever recognized from anything anywhere has pretty much already been cast in Harry Potter in
0: the past. So at this point. That is true. They really have had just dang near everybody in The movies, So we can expect that the this
3: cast will be filled out with a whole bunch of unknowns. So it's not like we're all going to be excited to be seeing Gary Oldman or Emma Thompson, because this is an entire reboot of the Harry Potter franchise.
1: And I want to go ahead and rant about something here just for a moment, because it's the reality of the situation. They're taking away more than they're giving. I am dead serious about this. As part of the price tiering plan, we learned that $14.99 is basically what everyone already has, which means if you're like me and you paid for a year in advance, you're getting the middle tier, not the top tier. The top tier is going to be the only one that includes 4K broadcasts, which means they're actually taking away from people who have monthly and annual subscriptions right now. You're going to have less with Max. That's not a joke. That is 100% what they're doing. And the worst part is they put no thought into this. They just want more money, which has basically been the problem with Warner Brothers Discovery this whole time. And by the way, as scary as this thought is, we just this week celebrated the first anniversary of the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. When I say celebrated, you can consider that in air quotes and with sarcasm. This has only been a year and it's already been a hellscape. And what they're promising for the future is they're going to give less unless you pay more. That is max in a nutshell. And here's the problem with it. Even if you get the 4K plan, they haven't even decided yet how much of their content it will actually include. We're not talking about everything in the library. No, it costs money to convert things to 4K. It is the most nonsensical, poorly planned thing you can imagine because that is how Warner Brothers Discovery operates.
3: Well, maybe the most nonsensical, poorly planned thing ever since the original launch of HBO Max, because you'll remember that before they brought in Jason Kylar to write the ship, they couldn't even necessarily tell you exactly what shows were and weren't on HBO Max.
1: That's a fair point. This has been a debacle and we're tired of it.
3: (laughs) To Tim's point, another thing that you get with the upper tier is four concurrent connections at once, which really begs the question, like, how are you going to have four different people watching HBO Max or... I'm sorry, Max, at the same time. And I think that really speaks to what they're trying to do here. Warner Bros. Discovery determined that the HBO part of HBO Max was limiting the streamer's audience. Their data backed that up, indicating that people were tuning in to watch a specific show like The Last of Us, but were not sticking around to watch something else. During their presentation, Warner Bros. Discovery leaned into children's content. They want Wait,
1: wait, wait. Uh Uh-uh. They can lean into it what they want, but it's actions, not words. Didn't we just spend the body of the year talking about all the children's content that Warner Brothers canceled?
3: Absolutely, they did. They not only canceled and indeed in some places erased some of that content, but they've also announced that new kid-friendly Mogwai series, the new Tiny Toons, Luniversity. They want to make this, their slogan is the one to watch. They want this to be a destination for the whole family where HBO will be only one tile you <laughs> Among many, there'll be a children's section, there'll be a discovery section, there will be the grown-up HBO section.
1: So they really? want to be Disney+, Plus, but they don't <laughs> have the content to be Disney+, Plus, and they actually canceled and eliminated slash erased the content that brought them closer to Disney+. Plus. Is that right? Yeah. Well, a- am I being harsh here, or is this really what's happened?
3: No, that is that is a fair criticism where they spent a year eliminating content, and now they're talking about, let's make new content. It's a little two-faced of them in some ways. And indeed, during the presentation, they also talked a lot about how they're going to be very heavy into increased cash flow, which, as we reminded everybody last week, is how... Warner Brothers Discovery executives are going to get bonuses now. The more cash flow you have, the bigger their bonuses. And so it's in their interest to increase that cash flow. What that means is spend less to create more content. And if that means they have to spend more money on shows like a hotel makeover or love and translation, rather than dropping everything onto a new Harry Potter series with A-list actors, then that's probably what they're going to do. They're going to create garbage content for lower cost.
1: the whole thing is just mind boggling to me and that we have watched them do one thing and now they're trying something else. And you've specifically given away what the real plan here is. They don't care about any of this except for the cash flow, which means they're going to try and entice people into paying for a more expensive version of what is basically the same thing. And the only way they've done it is by taking something away and saying you have to buy it back and by saying, and we're having... 4,000 other things that you don't want to watch and we know you don't want to watch because we've told you our data supports the fact our audiences have absolutely no overlap, but we're going to give it to you anyway and you're going to pay more for it. Where is the business plan here? Just generally
3: speaking, what are they doing well with this presentation? I firmly believe, and they expressed this during the presentation, that their business plan is to make this an alternative to Netflix. That is ballsy of them. I have no doubt that they will fail, but they want to make this a platform for all viewers. That is why they are trying to convince you to upgrade to the plan where four different people can watch at the same time so that Timmy and Jane can watch the kids' programs while mommy and daddy are watching The Sopranos and the teenagers are watching yet something else and you can all watch at the same time because you've upgraded to the tier that gives you more than two concurrent streams. Roel, would you like to hear a
1: voice from the future? Please. David from three months from now or six months from now is telling you the report is going to be HBO Max is now enforcing the four policy to make sure it is only people in the same household. Otherwise, people are going to split the price of the newly more expensive HBO Max across different families in different households. They haven't thought this through at all. There are so many holes in this plan. I could draw a fleet of tractor trailers through it. It is just staggering to me how they had an entire year to come up with this, and this was the best they could do.
3: I do love that we just can't shake the words HBO Max. It is just Max now. And I think this is a reflection, honestly, of poor branding at the initial launch. I'll
1: call it it HBO now if I want to. You change the name 18 times past a certain point, the consumer picks, okay?
3: (laughs) (laughs) We said at launch that calling it HBO Max was a bad idea because it immediately puts in people's heads and the consumer's heads, the thought that this is HBO content exclusively. And when then they're saying that, oh, we also have Sesame Street, it's like people do not correlate HBO to Sesame Street. So rebranding it at bare minimum was a good idea. And using the term Max... Not bad, considering this is a company that also happens to own Cinemax. That never comes into the conversation anymore. But let's remember, they do have a product whose name includes the word Max in it. So it is a good brand. Now, they need to be more convincing. And right now, it's going to take some time to scrub our brains of the words HBO to understand that it is only part of this. It is not the full suite of this. Is any of this really going to stick? I mean, I'm, I'm not the champion here. I'm as cynical about all this as David is. I am simply presenting what they want us to believe. Let's be fair here. Ten years from now, when that last season of the Harry Potter series comes out, out, which it's it's not even gonna start for like you know the ink is barely dry on the contracts this show doesn't even start production for months or years from now it's gonna be 15 years before the Harry Potter series concludes. What will streaming look like in 15 years? I don't know, but I'll tell you for sure that David Zaslov's not going to be in charge anymore in 15 years. There's I mean the a-
1: Comcast has its way, let's just go ahead and say it right now. This service won't even be called Max. It'll be Hulu Peacock Max And that is the best case scenario at this point, is if two struggling services get meshed in with one that has succeeded. All of this is just a delay and they are kicking the can down the road. And I'm getting tired of it because they can't even do that well. They keep missing the can.
3: And David did allude to this, of course. This is the one year anniversary of the Warner Bros. Discovery merger. And after the big show that Warner Bros. Discovery had announcing their new streaming service, besides that, they haven't had much good news. Wall Street really wasn't very excited about it. Initial reaction was a drop in the company's stock price, and it hasn't recovered since that point earlier this week. But more importantly, some lawmakers in Washington have called on the Department of Justice to investigate the Warner Brothers and Discovery merger, pointing out the layoffs and the discarded content, both of which are frankly counter to what David Zasloff had promised us would happen. So it's been a bad one year anniversary for Warner Bros. Discovery.
1: Let's just call it what it is. It's been a terrible year. If you look back a year ago, when this stock debuted, it cost 2447. On the day of the announcement, it was at 1542. Right now it's at 1378, which means it's taken a fifty percent shave almost over a year. And it has taken an eleven percent shave just since they announced their stuff. And everyone realized, oh my God, they have nothing. So they are really, really leaning hard on that Harry Potter IP. I mean, they're basically saying, save us, J.K. Rowling, as if they haven't heard a lot of news from the past decade. I am so frustrated by this, but I'm going to step outside my own opinion a second. I'm just going to ask two questions. Kim, if I told you I wanted to pay $5 more a month for the 4K on HBO Max, would you say yes or no?
0: I would say no, especially not knowing what we're going to even get. I haven't found much value so far in YouTube TV's 4K offerings, so I just have to say no until I see proof that it's worthwhile. Okay, Tim, Max
1: is saying that it is going to cost nineteen ninety-nine a month for the best possible service. What is the most you would pay for Max?
2: Yeah, I think 20 is pushing it for a streaming service these days. I guess this is what, $15.99, but I really think 15 is is really the, the limit right now for, for most people for when they're doing a streaming service. You still got to somehow offer enough with that 10 to $15 price point.
1: And that's how I feel the average consumers are going to evaluate Max. This is a situation where people in a boardroom have thought about their needs, not what the consumer wants. And the hilarious part is if they had done any sort of decent intel over the past year, they could have anticipated these things if they'd at least kept some of the stuff they already had. It would be more justifiable. But now they're saying, hey, we've just banished several titles from existence. I mean, hundreds of titles from existence. Hey, pay us five dollars more a month now. What?
3: Yeah. Bottom line is their attempts at making this a broader, appealing streaming service aren't really going to fly when most of the content they announced was yes, yes appealing prestige television, but that is what we already were seeing historically on HBO Max. When you talk about the new season of True Detective or The Regime or The Sympathizer or even the new Game of Thrones prequel, heck, maybe even the new Harry Potter series. All of that would have been what you expect to see on HBO and HBO Max. When you look at the broader appealing content, maybe the Big Bang Theory spinoff or the Gremlins show or the Tiny Toons show or even the Discovery Plus content, that's not enough to get people to come over to the new Max. And the fact that they are going to keep their Discovery Plus streaming service means that there is no incentive for people who are most interested in Discovery Plus content to jump over to Max because then they're just going to continue watching Discovery Plus content on Discovery Plus.
2: Also, we need to start an HBO jar where anytime you say HBO Max instead of Max, you have to put a (laughs) dollar in. (laughs)
0: There was other streaming news this week. In our rapid fire, YouTube TV announced their pricing for their NFL Sunday ticket package. YouTube TV subscribers will pay $349 for a year's worth of NFL football, while non-subscribers will have to cough up $449. But if you sign up before June 6th, you can knock $100 off those prices. And if you want to have NFL Red Zone as a YouTube TV, subscriber. That $349 goes up to $389. As a reminder, the current YouTube TV basic package just went up to $72.99 a month. Last year, DirecTV charged about $300 for NFL Sunday ticket, and I don't think that's correct.
1: It is correct if you got the absolute bare minimum thing.
0: I was going to say that is not what I paid.
1: Yeah, what you and I were paying was $100 a month for it was either four or five months, but we were getting like the best possible package. Kim, what did we think of the pricing for NFL Red Zone on YouTube TV?
0: I thought it was just fine. It was better than last time's and... Honestly, we've already bought it.
1: Exactly. We heard $249 and we have already paid for it. I mean, I've paid off the credit card and everything. That was a deal for us. I realize it's going to be different for other people. The one thing I did need clarification on that I'll clarify for everyone else if you already have NFL Network, you get NFL Red Zone anyway. And because there's only one NFL Red Zone from now on, there used to be two until, you know, January 2023, there's only one now. So you don't have to pay that extra $40 if you have NFL Network. So I would just advise YouTube TV people just go ahead and grab that if you don't already have it. It's part of the sports package. Overall, I was thrilled with this pricing, especially the fact that we were able to save $100. I mean, we're paying the least for NFL Sunday tickets since what, Kim? 2008? Years. Yeah. So this was just full of one for us. Someone who is not a football fanatic, I had a blind
2: spot as to what this cost and I see these numbers and I'm like, "Holy crap, but people do
3: love their their NFL and I mean this does get you get to everything." Hey guys, David Kim remind me as not DirecTV subscribers, which I believe is an accurate description. How were you guys watching NFL Sunday ticket programming? Was it an app? Was it a channel on your cable grid? It was a Roku app. A Roku app. All right. And that is what this will be as well going forward. So anyone who subscribes through NFL Sunday Ticket. You can do it
1: that way through YouTube. However, the way we're going to be doing it is through YouTube TV, which is actually better because YouTube TV has unlimited DVR, which means we will have direct dial access to every play from every NFL game straight out of the YouTube TV app.
3: Not to be cynical about this, but I know YouTube has control over what can and cannot be DVR. Are you confident that YouTube TV is going to let you DVR the games?
1: It did with Red Zone. I don't see why they'd change it. However, now that you say that, it's certainly possible the NFL asked for concessions. Generally speaking, sports leagues have gotten a lot more open-minded about this. I was just reading an interview with Rob Manford of Major League Baseball, who is the most backwards money first guy in sports, and even he was saying that he hated blackout restrictions and stuff like that. It's a digital world now. It is a streaming world now, and sports services want customers. So they're going to do what they can to encourage more customers rather than than reduce them. That's my belief.
3: And so ultimately, the takeaway here is that anyone who happened to have been a DirecTV satellite dish subscriber historically, which at this point, DirecTV is not long for this world because I suspect most of those people were there only because of NFL Sunday ticket and were accustomed to watching the NFL games by selecting them through a channel grid off of their satellite set box, will now have to choose a streaming set box and install either the YouTube or YouTube TV app in order to be able to watch those shows. Is that our understanding?
1: It's a small subset of people to begin with, and uh, the last data I saw was that DirecTV only had 13.3 million subscribers, and I suspect that at this point, if you've still got a satellite dish you're using, you're pot committed to it, so I don't know how many of those people would actually change services just for this anyway. It, I mean, answering your question, yes, you would need to sign up for YouTube TV, which is $72.99 a month, as you said, and then you'll have to pick the package, and that is different from direct. TV and that they would basically ensure subscriptions by giving away NFL Sunday ticket as part of their basic package.
0: While we're on the Google Beat, Google TV launched a new live TV hub this week, aggregating live streams from several fast channel services.
3: Yeah, I pulled it up on my Google TV earlier today and it was. Interesting. I scrolled through it and you had what amounted to nearly infinite fast channels. Apparently they have 800 of these channels, some of them from Pluto TV, some of them from other fast services. And it is exactly what you would expect. It's real time streaming of random shows. There's the Star Trek channel. uh, I don't know, the Baywatch channel, the NBC News channel. I had a look. It was interesting to see. And I never went back because I'm not into fast or live streaming content. I'm much more into the on demand. I want to choose what show I want to watch and I want to watch it when I want to watch it.
0: Okay, before we start talking about the ratings, I know everybody's waiting to hear what Tim is going to be talking about there. Let's talk about the box office because it was kind of a big deal last weekend and kind of is this weekend too.
2: Yeah, so we, we recorded on Friday last week, so we only had the couple days of numbers, but the Super Mario Brothers movie came in with $204 million for the five days over the Easter holiday weekend. I did not see that coming at all. Like I knew, I figured it would do well, but 200 million, I didn't think that was a thing anymore, especially for video game movies. Never have had the best track record. And now that, tide might
1: be turning. Kim knew. Kim could have told you six months out and the reason why is she is the Nintendo super fan of the group. (laughs) It's larger than that though. If we just look at it analytically, a lot of the battle with box office is creating brands. That's what franchises are. They're brands that have Immediate name recognition. The Super Mario Brothers movie is based on a franchise that has turned Nintendo into the best selling console of all time multiple times, arguably up to four times, at least three best-selling console ever. And all Mm -hmm. of them have happened on the back of an Italian plumber. So when you show (laughs) a trailer that has Super Smash Brothers, Luigi's Mansion, Mario Brothers, all this stuff at once, you're basically saying, here are all the games you loved as a child in movie form. This was always going to be a juggernaut. And frankly, I am surprised by how many people are saying they didn't see this coming because I honestly think this is one of the most obvious calls
2: in recent memory. It will be at $300 by the time you hear this.
1: 660 million worldwide. Yeah. 660 million after I, nine days. Yep.
0: Yeah. And everybody I know who has kids or grandkids took them to this. So clearly it extends beyond maybe even just people who played it. It's just... I think we have had so few kids' movies that are like recognizable IP that people feel comfortable with, that this was just perfectly timed for families to all get together and go see this movie that is not long, it's fun, and everybody seems to have enjoyed it that I've talked to that saw it. So yeah, it hit the right notes.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, if Sonic could do what it did, twice. Super Mario Brothers, which is much, much, much more popular, was going to do this. And I think in a certain way, Tim, do you agree or disagree? This kind of commemorates the official end of the pandemic. We can now move forward with legitimate blockbuster super hits from now on. It sure seems like it.
2: This is technically a new IP, but movie theaters are still the playground of the big triple A franchises because after a bunch of really decent weekends where we had John Wick, Dungeons and Dragons opened well, but then fell apart. And, you know we've had some good weeks at the box office, but then thankfully the Super Mario Brothers movie is still carrying this weekend because the new releases this weekend kind of ran into a brick wall.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of my point here. We've seen Spider-Man No Way Home. We've seen Top Gun Maverick. We have absolutely watched titles that have become among the most successful films ever during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But to me, that just makes their performances all the more impressive because they were doing it against incredible resistance. This film just strikes to me as the start of what's next where we can kind of pretend the pandemic
3: never happened. Uh, for theater's sake, it sure seems like it, yeah. There is a school of thought that says that video game franchises are the new superhero movies. We saw that to a certain degree, of course, with the success of The Last of Us and certainly now with the Super Mario Brothers movie. But we can just as easily point to failures like the lack of success with the Halo series. Uh, I was waiting
2: for you to mention Halo. Yes, you have
3: to say there's, it. There's still a, there is still an opportunity to, to fix that, though.
1: We've seen this before. I mean, if we're going to go back in uh, a few years, Disney actually made a Prince of Persia Sands of Time film but what they did and I was just talking about this the other day on a different podcast they didn't make a Prince of Persia film they made a Pirates of the Caribbean film with Prince of Persia in the title and that's the difference with what we're seeing here versus a lot of the other ones I mean say what you will about Resident Evil Kim and I admittedly have a blind spot here the Resident Evil films have all known exactly what the audience wants now it's a limited audience and so there is you know a ceiling on the box office possibility but they've been exactly what they promised. Too many video game adaptations we've seen in the past were along the lines of Street Fighter, where you're just wondering, have you ever played a Street Fighter video game? Now we're starting to see, you know, even the most recent Mortal Kombat was more in touch with what the franchise should be. And I suspect that's because they're actually starting to hire people now who grew up playing these video games and therefore have more familiarity with the IP. And Roel, you didn't say it, which was polite of you, but you've been calling this for 18, months now saying video game IP is the most underrated niche out there right now for new brands. And you are absolutely correct. And this was proof of concept of that.
3: Oh, yeah. No, there's a, there's a Scandinavian company out there hoarding video game IP that when they come out <laughs> of the blocks are going to crush the market. There will be a new Tomb Raider franchise. At this point, a lot of people seem to think that Tomb Raider was a movie franchise. No, it's based off a game, of course. And let's not forget that Sony's Uncharted was not a failure. It's mm-hmm. going to get a sequel. The Detective Pikachu movie is getting a sequel as well. And David, I had speculated to you, is it possible now that in fact the Detective Pikachu sequel will be even more successful as people now start thinking, hmm, video game movies aren't bad? And I was going to joke, of course, I'm looking forward to the Kirby's Dream Land spin-off, <laughs> But Really, the next big franchise may very well be Legend of Zelda. Watch for that.
2: Did the original Mario Brothers movie from the 90s really kill the video game franchise until like the last few years? It, it very well may have, And then now this, the actual Super Mario Brothers movie has actually (laughs) resurrected it.
3: Yeah, it was in the same era as the original Mortal Kombat movie and the Street Fighter movie. I will say that the original Mortal Kombat movie needs a second look. It wasn't bad, but it's the same as the original Captain America movie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't, don't look it up. <laughs> it, but yeah, there was a period when superhero movies were just not worth looking into, and it took some time for it to uh, shake that, uh, <laughs> shake the stick off. It
2: took people who were actually familiar with the product to make a good movie and turn superhero movies into the most successful thing of the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, we touched on this a little bit when Nelson Peltz was trying to push his way onto Disney's board, where Disney was like, well, present us some ideas about streaming Because my understanding is you make ketchup bottles. And his argument was, yeah, but I've made billions making ketchup bottles, as if that would help somehow with streaming. During the 1980s and 1990s, there were a bunch of -of out-of-touch old white guys, and it was almost all out-of-touch old white guys at the time calling the shots going, well, I hear my grandkids talking about the video games. Let's make a video game, but don't make it too video gamey. Now we've got people who have spent their entire lives playing video games. And I have to say, going back to Resident Evil, that was the advantage. The franchise always had Mila starred in the films her husband wrote and directed the films they loved resident evil she used to play it with her kid brother that sort of passion shows through and when you watch that super mario brothers trailer you know in 10 seconds these people love video games and that's what matters here but uh let's let's stop talking about the good news a bit tim you said there were other openings this week what are those
2: yeah we have the pope's exorcist from sony and renfield from universals both coming in with uh uh, a little over 3 million each. And
3: Renfield uh, what year is this? Banking on a uh, Nicolas Cage as a <laughs> vampire or something. Universal's trying to lean into its monster franchise and keeps falling on their face. So I think they're just going to have to try again
1: they've got Epic Universe coming out and the Epic Universe is going to have a classic Monsters themed land and they're just doing everything they can. Please watch a Dark Universe movie because we really want to call one part of the place Dark Universe and you're killing us because you won't go see any of it. And uh, I'd say I thought Renfield looked pretty good but I also feel like, you know, most audiences are in the no more Nick Cage ever phase. Maybe yeah. in five or ten years <laughs> it'll be like Brendan Fraser and they'll go back. But right now in F- is
2: enough yeah so like i said thankfully it's the super mario brothers movie carrying the box office again another 22 million on on friday that could translate to 80 million for the second weekend which is just outstanding
0: okay let's let's talk about those ratings and give the people what they (laughs) want. okay yeah (laughs) we have the nielsen streaming
2: ratings for monday march 13th To Sunday, March nineteenth, twenty twenty-three, and oh, just wait till we get to that movie's list. But the I'm kind of excited to talk about the originals chart. It is led once again by you. 40 episodes, 1.2 billion minutes, because the second half of that fourth season arrived with last week's ratings. So no no surprise here, it's now a tried and true strategy for Netflix to, to split the shows people want into two parts, so you, you get that big big ratings bump twice. Uh, new in second is Shadow and Bone, 1.1 billion minutes for 16 episodes. The second season premiered on March 16th, eight more episodes. Uh, after the first one uh, was April 2021, and I'm pretty sure we saw it then, right?
3: Yeah, but I wonder if maybe this is a lackluster appearance. The fact that it didn't hit, the, you know, those lofty 2 billion, 2.5 billion minutes yeah. suggests that maybe it's just not doing what Netflix wants it to do.
2: I don't know. They, they actually renewed it fairly quickly after its premiere. It was originally premiered April 2021 and within a month they had renewed it for the second season. So uh, I think this is I think this is fine. I was going to say it maybe the top show next week because this is just a three day number but there's something that's going to totally blow the doors off everything that's arriving on the original chart next week. But this is I think it's fine. I think you'll see actually see it get a bump next week as well. Uh The Mandalorian from Disney Plus is up to third 1.1 billion minutes for now 19 episodes. So gaining audience even though um I uh, I heard you have some thoughts on this show later on.
1: <laughs>
2: yep. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that is a really good number for that and for really Oh yeah. Indian yeah, yeah, Disney Plus series. Yes.
2: yes, this is their, you know, like it or not, it's it's their their flagship show at this point. They keep trying to push the Star Wars shows and none of them have really taken off to the extent that The Mandalorian has. I like guess just by virtue of being first and by virtue of having Baby Yoda. Outer Banks is still in for 722 million minutes also from Netflix, 30 episodes total. Uh, now we have some, uh, some new stuff and returning stuff, making up most of the rest of the list. In fifth is Outlast from Netflix, 692 million minutes for eight episodes. This is a you know, survival reality competition series. It's like, well, it's like, we I think we joked it was like one third of Survivor based on the title, but right. it's basically people dumped in, in the Alaskan wilderness and team up and, and survive as long as you can. Though the bad news for the show is this premiered on March 10th with its an entire season, so this is the full week number so it got the full week bump we didn't see it last week but i'm not sure but we'll we'll see it again maybe maybe it'll take a a drop from here towards the bottom of the list uh but in six hey welcome back ted lasso 539 million minutes for 23 total episodes, but that's the premiere of the third season on March 15th, which is one new episode, not not multiple or anything like that. So there was anticipation for it. David's expressed disappointment with it so far. But, and I uh, will again. <laughs> uh, but it, it is the the one and only Apple TV Plus show that we've ever seen crack any of these ratings. I do wish we'd, we'd see more because the streamer is much more than than this show. I was hopeful we'd see the Tetris movie to keep the whole video game conversation going, but maybe we will in, in a week or two. But yeah, they they don't have much more than this and I've I've mocked them for it because they've now been you know lapped by you know Peacock and Paramount Plus having multiple shows land on these charts. But we only see Ted Lasso from Apple TV Plus, but it's got its its fan base as just, just one new episode was able to climb it back on the list. I was kind of expecting it to take a little longer from when the third season premiered, but maybe it was it's just been so long because season two was summer 2021, ran through October. People were probably just reacclimating themselves with the show due to the, the longer than expected gap between seasons two and three. In seventh, the show we saw last week, MH370, The Plane That Disappeared, 523 million minutes for just the three episode docu-series. Uh, something new from Netflix in eighth, The Glory, 410 million minutes, 16 episodes. This was actually the second season of this Korean show that arrived with eight additional episodes on March 10th uh, after premiering at the end of December, December 30th of last year. I feel like people are giving any Korean show just kind of the benefit of the doubt now. Anytime it premieres, is they're hoping that, oh, maybe this is like Squid Game.
1: I think you're absolutely right. It's depressing for me because I want the romance, not the murder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a uh,
2: the description seems a little uh, on the on the dark side. It just dis- the one sentence on Wikipedia says a former victim of school violence seeks revenge on her bullies after taking up a job as a homeroom teacher at the elementary school of the bully's child. What the heck? Wow. That's that's worse than I thought after I read the full sentence.
1: Yeah, we definitely talked about this before it came out. And mm-hmm. it was one of those where you're just like, there are some messed up people on this planet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And a nice surprise in ninth is from Paramount Plus, Star Trek Picard. 310 nine minutes, 25 total episodes. This was not the premiere, but it's the middle of the third and final season. It's premiered February 16th. It adds episodes weekly through April 20th. So five episodes into its third season, uh, here it is. And I'm, I'm very happy to see it here now that we have the Paramount Plus numbers.
1: That's right. It's great news for Star Trek fans because their series is appearing on the charts. And it's even better news for Star Wars. Fans, so you can say that the Mandalorian kicked Picard's ass.
3: I do think this is a well-earned number for Star Trek Picard. It's starting to show that increased buzz that the new season was accumulating over its first few episodes. And I do wonder, as we come to a conclusion, if it's actually going to climb those charts in the same way that I do anticipate the Mandalorian, as it suffers from negative buzz, might actually start dropping on those charts. I wonder if they're going to cross the Mandalorian and Picard. Uh, I'd be absolutely shocked to see a
2: Paramount Plus series crack a billion minutes on these ratings, but uh, I guess it's not the strangest thing to, to have happened, but I do expect it to grow as we get episodes because people are really enjoying it and they are very excited to see how it ends as we're headed into the finale about to premiere as we record this.
3: Yeah. Remember that the show has picked up so much buzz that Paramount's actually going to be playing the last two episodes in IMAX theaters. So. Yeah, I saw that. Yep.
2: And we wrap up Netflix with returning show we've seen before. And I actually have questions because here is Gabby's Dollhouse once again. Two hundred and ninety-two million minutes, fifty-one total episodes. I presume I know we talked about it that it was getting new episodes on an episode of uh what's new. However, the information I have says those episodes are premiering after these ratings, March twentieth.
3: People are pre gaming. You, right. you gotta find out what happens. Right. You gotta in seasons.
2: Yeah, you have to catch up, I guess, in anticipation for the <laughs> new season. So Oh, boy. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely one of those shows that has hung around. A while. If I, we always say if we had the next 10, it, it would be pretty much there. It's kind of almost like the melon of the original chart. It clearly has its following of just you know, small children who, who can't get enough of it to the dismay of their parents, I'm sure. Okay, on to the movie's chart. It is led uh, once again by the movie we saw last week, Luther, The Fallen Son, 859 million minutes. That's fine, right? Good to see Idris Elba doing stuff. Yeah,
1: That's a good number. I mean, it really is. Yeah,
2: it it won last week, but yeah, it it actually didn't completely collapse after the the full full week, which does happen sometimes. And okay, here it is. Your second most watched movie, according to Nielsen, from Netflix. Something called Dragged Across Concrete. 516 million minutes.
1: And Tim, this is the uh, Netflix debut of the wildly successful blockbuster, right? Yeah,
0: what in the blue hell is that movie? <laughs> yeah, this is a movie
2: from I guess premiered in 2018 at some film festivals and allegedly was released to theaters and uh straight to streaming on in
1: 2019. Uh it happens to star Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. I mean, if nobody ever talks about a movie, does it exist in terms of box office? How much box office has it earned, Tim?
2: It has made, depending on who you believe, somewhere around the vicinity of $830,000. All of that appears to be internationally, nothing domestically. They never reported box office if it did indeed release in any theaters.
1: And how many million minutes did it have watched this week? 516 million minutes. Explain your work. This is once
2: again the power of Netflix, and I pray they never use this for evil. Where the uh, movie shows up on the streaming service from wherever it was, and in this case, this literally appeared on March 16. So this is just a three-day number. So oh good God, we're going to see it again next week, no matter we how We joke old,
1: about the so- they, sociological experiment thing. We they, do, but this—they
2: this treat is it. Terrifying. They treat it as if it's new content. And that's good enough for a whole bunch of people to, to just watch it.
3: I'm pretty sure they did just use it for evil, Tim. <laughs> I will point out that another what amounts to straight to video movie, RIPD2, garnered 478 mm-hmm. million minutes last year. So it's not unprecedented for these movies were really never had a presence in theaters to actually make these charts. But why this one, Netflix? It's just,
2: it's not a new concept
3: at this this point. And
2: and I, I shouldn't be as mad as I am, but I am extremely annoyed at a lot of you for, Selecting this movie because Netflix told you to watch it.
1: Tim said swears in chat when he actually (laughs) saw this number. We're not joking. That's that's a real thing that happened because he knew he was going to have to talk about this and it was that bad. We can joke about this all we want, but Netflix is spending $200 million on some of its movies. And when you see something like this... Just, you know, as somebody who, you know, understands finance, I find that really hard to defend because they can just get, they can get a thousand films like this. the same amount of money and they can just keep doing this. There's no stopping it. It is a problem for Netflix customers that they keep supporting this sort of business practice. It really is. I just need to, I need to look at
2: Netflix more often because again, the only reason this would happen is they, the service clearly treats it as new, even though it's a few years old at this point, but it's new to the service, so therefore it's new content, and you you should watch it according to Netflix, and people do, because that they're clearly mindless sheep when you have a large enough group of them, which Netflix clearly does.
1: Will we get a Dragged Across Concrete 2 now? <laughs> people still want to work with Mel Gibson, I guess.
2: All right. Uh, so yeah, that enough of that.
1: Oh, it gets funnier. It, oh, oh the- yeah.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, third from Peacock, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. We saw that last week, 435 million minutes.
1: That's right, folks. A straight to DVD release from 2018 just beat Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which was one of the top films of the Christmas holiday season. What are we even doing here?
2: (laughs) Just wait till this shows up on Netflix, which it will in a few months.
3: I will give Peacock a lot of credit here. Coming in at number three in the movies charts, they do not have that subscriber base that Netflix has, but you really needed a strong movie like Puss in Boots, The Last Wish for Peacock to hit. Number three on the charts and they delivered.
1: I mean, see, I see this as an indictment of Peacock where they have an absolute A-list title and this is the best they can do. And their absolute best can't beat something Vince Vaughn has forgotten he appeared in. (laughs) No, I'm leaning towards it. It's the sheer volume of
2: Netflix they are heavily weighted on these charts just because of how Nielsen measures it so relatively it's it's a better performance for 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 Puss in Boots but yeah I'm just mad that that many people wasted their time on this movie
1: you're missing the big picture here which is that Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn's agents called them this week and said you're back baby (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're going to get like yeah residuals checks for a movie they forgot that that they made.
1: And fourth, another
2: movie we saw last week, credited to Netflix and Peacock, Turbo, 251 million minutes. Again, probably 90% of that is Netflix. Thanks for playing, Peacock. But still more shows than Apple TV Plus has ever had on the list. So. Yeah. Uh, and fifth, Money Shot, The Pornhub Story, 246. You can make a joke here about how many people just searched Netflix for porn and this came up
1: and they watched it. Can I do number six? Can I do number six?
2: Yes, yes.
1: Hey, Disney just announced a live-action remake of Moana starring The Rock. Do you want to know why they did that? Because Moana still finishes sixth on the movie charts on Disney Plus after all this time.
2: All this time, yep. 238
1: million minutes, its usual amount, just like Encanto finished seventh with its usual amount, 216 million minutes. No matter what is happening in the universe, there could be an apocalypse. (laughs) 200 million minutes worth of Encanto and Moana would still happen.
2: Absolutely. Yep. 100% agree. All right, your other stupid one for the week in 8th is Riddick, 214 million minutes. This also returned to Netflix, along with the other movies in the storied Pitch Black franchise on March 16th. Why the last one is here? I I don't know.
1: Watch Pitch Black, everyone.
2: It's better. Uh, At least we do have something else new on the list this week in ninth. This is from Hulu, Boston Strangler, 206 million minutes.
3: Again, gritting on a curve, the fact that Hulu managed to chart a movie. Hulu made a movie, yeah. Hulu got a movie on the list, yeah. But it wasn't a good movie, and it won't be here next week.
2: Yeah, no. You know, historical crime drama based on the true story, Kieran Knightley, some other people. But hey, good job, Hulu, you made it. And we wrap up movies with Minions, The Rise of Gru from Netflix. 200 million minutes. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before, this time led now by NCIS. Uh, 827 million minutes, getting that bump from now having Paramount Plus included in, in the ratings. Just slightly ahead of The Last of Us, which completed its season last week, 817 million minutes in second. Bluey, an impressive third, 749 million minutes. What's going on there? I wonder if they've just altered their algorithm slightly just in terms of how they how they count these uh, these viewers, because
1: that's a really strong number. I have no explanation for that. I mean, spring break, maybe maybe it's a little yeah. early for spring break, but yeah. possibly the overall
2: list is generally dominated by these uh, acquired series. With some strong numbers, you know, South Park, 741 million, uh, the almighty Cocomelon, seven hundred four. Grey's Anatomy six hundred fifty two, but yeah, that's the one of the higher numbers I remember seeing for for Bluey, which means oh, I, actually I was going to say is is that's the highest Disney Plus show, but no, I forgot about The Mandalorian, but that's a, that's a lot of uh, viewership for for Disney Plus though. But yeah, I, uh, another stupid week in in movies. I, I am happy to see. Some you know good variety on uh, the original chart because now we have Ted Lasso from Apple TV. We've got Picard from Paramount Plus. Uh, maybe we can get another Hulu show or Peacock show back in there again. Poker Face surprisingly fell off actually a lot faster than I thought after its season ended. But there will definitely be a, a season two of that. But uh, next week, prepare to have the doors blown off by the Night Agent.
1: And if you ever want to make Tim irrationally angry, if you see him on the street, just walk up to him and whisper,
0: dragged across concrete,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I will lose my mind.
0: All right. Thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Netflix's new deal with the Duffer Brothers is starting to bear fruit as a Stranger Things animated series is being planned.
3: It's somewhat telling that they weren't able to reveal any plot points. They talked a lot about the animation studio and who's going to be producing it. And the Duffer brothers told us how excited they were about this project, but really nothing of substance, just that there's a Stranger Things animated series on its way.
1: Honestly, as long as it's like 1980s cartoons, I'm just going to be ecstatic because Stranger Things is absolutely perfect for that.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say. It's also been announced that Netflix has canceled the Sarah Shahi drama Sex Life After Two Seasons.
1: And it sounds like the drama might have taken place behind the scenes in season two because she burned some bridges. This is one of the most liked actresses on the planet who basically said, everything changed between season one and season two's production. And... And during the second season, they didn't have Netflix's support at all. And she kind of acknowledged the fact they may not want to work with her for a while, but that was just
0: fine with her. Over at Apple TV Plus, possible brothers Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are reuniting, playing versions of themselves in an untitled 10-episode half-hour comedy series where they attempt to live together along with their families on McConaughey's Texas ranch. Do they really have enough pot
1: for all of them? <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> I gotta
3: say, I laughed at the description alone. That That is a golden pitch right there. <laughs>
1: Goldmine, right? And Kim mentioned something here that's apparently real. At some point, they were just sitting around talking, and McConaughey's mother told Woody Harrelson, I knew your father, and she left it hanging in the air. Everyone realized what she meant by knew. It was in the biblical sense. And so they have been joking since then that maybe they should do a paternity test. And as a reminder, Woody Harrelson's father was
0: an assassin. So weird stuff all around here. (laughs) On Paramount Plus, Robert De Niro is coming back to streaming, starring in a crime drama series, Bobby Meritorious. Paramount Plus landed the deal after a competitive bid process for the rights from Preet Bahara, who was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York between 2009 and 2017.
3: The pitch is very appropriate for Robert De Niro, a gritty crime thriller based in New York City. But I don't know about that title.
0: Yeah, it's a weird title, huh? Mm -hmm. Apparently that was the
1: guy's nickname. And I just want to ask, who gave him that nickname? What?
0: (laughs) As always, we close out the show with what's been keeping us busy over the past week, and David and I have been catching up on the same things that we typically do watch. I haven't talked about Top Chef World All-Stars yet, which is a really good season so far. They have winners and finalists from all over the world, including the United States, Canada, France, Brazil, uh, Germany, everywhere, and It has been a really, I feel, uplifting season. The cast is all really clearly very fond of each other and so far has just knocked it out of the park as far as what they're creating. So just a really great season thus far. Raúl, how about you?
3: I'm going to lean into a news story from The Hollywood Reporter this week and tell you about Season 3 of The Mandalorian. For those who didn't read it, the Hollywood Reporter story has the headline of The Mandalorian Season 3 Backlash. Fans claim massive quality drop. I feel like Charlton Heston in one of his overwrought performances. The Mandalorian's bad, don't you see it? You're blinded by the cute little green guy. It's bad. I... (laughs) I think the season of The Mandalorian suffers from a number of factors. Firstly, it's Star Wars fatigue. Too much Star Wars. Secondly, it's the Andor effect. If anything, Andor showed us what a good Star Wars show could be. And thirdly, plainly, it's a, a precipitous drop in quality. I don't know if we ever saw it before... Or if it's a reflection of a show like Andor that exposed this, but The Mandalorian plays like Star Wars fan fiction written by an eight-year-old. There's one episode left in the season, but I don't know that it really can be saved. I will say that episode nine this season was the most Star Wars episode so far and head and shoulders above the rest of the season, but it's still disappointed. I don't even mind that Pedro Pascal's Din Djarin Mandalorian has taken a back seat this season. Instead, it's the mind-numbingly dumb writing, the simplified storylines, the one-dimensional characters. It, it really boils down to, oh, that guy's a bad guy because he's bad. And that guy's a good guy because he's good. Really? What's their motivation? Why are they doing this? No, oh, he's a pirate, so he's he's bad. Um, mm, no, at this point, I'm uh, watching out of a sense of obligation and not because I care. What happens? Yep.
0: All right, Tim, I am excited to hear from you. Yes, I've
2: been waiting to talk about this all week because it's a pleasant surprise. Do you guys remember the Joe Schmo show?
0: Oh, yes. yes. We were. We, we, yes. we thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes. yes, all yes. Of us, I, believe. I, I
2: believe I found the 2023 equivalent and it happens to be on a service that I thought I could safely ignore. It's jury duty and it's on Amazon freebie. It follows a civil trial case in Los Angeles and takes us through the whole process of jury selection and the trial and they end up being sequestered the jury and, and all that. Now, normally Cameras aren't allowed in, in courtrooms, I guess, in, either in general or at least in California, uh, but they're being told that it's being filmed for a documentary about serving on a jury and, and doing civic duty. So we get full access to the trial and interviews with the, uh, the jury members. Um, the catch is the trial is fake and everything is staged and everyone involved is an actor except for one guy.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, no.
2: yes. The jury is, of course, a bunch a whole bunch of different tropes, people of various ages, ethnicities, backgrounds. And because it's LA and you need one moderately famous person playing themselves, James Marsden. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my gosh! Yes, it is outstanding. It is. There are several absolutely hysterical moments as we go through this whole trial. And of course, our hero Ronald is appointed the foreman of the jury, and you know, told by the judge to be the leader and, and keep everyone in line. As the personalities and the quirks of the other jurors become more apparent as the trial goes on, and it definitely does cross the line of being a little too absurd at, for a trial at moments. But they actually kind of explain it away, where that the judge explains he's retiring at the end of this trial after like a third. Something year career as a judge, and he will not have his final case end in a mistrial. So he, you know, he gives a fair amount of leeway, but the amount of antics that are happening, and and as they're being, you know, sequestered, they manage to convince the bailiff and the judge, you know, to, you know, have them go out to like, you know, a a restaurant, which is an absolutely hysterical scene, and just all the various antics. It is absolutely worth your time. It's going to be eight episodes total. Six are currently available on freebie. The final two will be out on the 21st, but it is one of the most amazing things that I've seen in a long time. Do watch Jury Duty and it's on Amazon Freebie of all things
0: gold. Awesome. David, we'll close it out with you.
1: Yeah, I was actually going to do Top Chef and Kim beat me to the punch. We have watched all of the episodes. We're just now catching up on the Last Chance Kitchens. And this season has been remarkable. The person who was the worst performer this year won Top Chef France. And oh, by the way, France kind of known for its cooking. So that was the worst chef of this season. And you're looking at the competition. They're either finalists or winners From seasons around the world, and they have basically created the legitimate Top Chef All-Stars. Now, they don't have the A-list people from the main Top Chef series, which is a little disappointed. Instead, we've had people like Don Burrell, who I love, but who, you know, isn't. You think about the best of the best, and, you know, Kristen Kish comes up. Uh, Richard Blaze comes up it's not that but the people they've got on just spectacular and it's been fascinating watching some of them work together and they just can't I mean (laughs) even though they like each other these are all alphas they're used to being in complete charge and when you stick them on a team it can create some fascinating divisions I'm in love with this season we always think Top Chef is the best reality show on television as a matter of fact it's probably the only
0: one we watch now isn't it Kim? I mean, we haven't watched The Challenge recently, so I guess, yes. It was
1: The Challenge and The Amazing Race were the other two we were still watching, and we've kind of dumped those. We haven't watched those, yeah. So yeah, it's just down the top, Chef, which tells you how much we love it. And this season really is, in terms of the competition, the best one yet. And then we're also still watching the same three shows like Kim mentioned. I haven't loved the last couple of episodes of Picard. It's kind of fallen into the season two trap where you know what's going to happen, and they stretch it out for 45 or 50 minutes. Will data win or will lore win? Well, data's 73 and 0 against lore, so I bet he goes 74 and 0, <laughs> but you have to spend an entire hour suffering through the nonsense first for it to happen. I wish they would do that a little bit better, but you know. When an episode ends and they're back on the Enterprise, you know, just pure joy, absolute pure joy. And then The Mandalorian, I think it's hysterical. There is a running joke among me and my friends, and everybody's going to smile knowingly right now. Whenever I like Star Wars, they're screwed. Well, I've been complaining about Star Wars all season with The Mandalorian, because it's not The Mandalorian, it's The Mandalorian's plural. There's like 70 of them now. It's an entire coven of Mandalorians. And so, I, you know, it's been annoying, but... The Lizzo episode that just aired with Jack Black, I thought was the best episode of Mandalorian ever. So obviously it is being called and graded as the worst episode of Mandalorian ever. Just like happened with Star Wars 8, which was, you know, the Star Wars movie I like. Had the most interesting characters I've ever had. So th- this whole thing has been a little surreal to me, but uh, put Lizzo back on the show. And if you want to make a Lizzo spinoff Star Wars series, I'm here for it. And then Ted Lasso is just breaking my heart. Absolutely breaking my heart. Like I said somewhere else the other day, season two had missteps. Season three is just a miss. There is so much wrong with it. It is frustrating to watch. I'm just disappointed. They've had too much success, and because of that, they've been asked to do something that is not what Ted Lasso should be. And it's just fascinating how this has come full circle for me. I used to say, oh, no, let's not watch Ted Lasso. It sounds horrible. To Ted Lasso season one is the best thing you can ever watch. And now season three, I'm just kind of thinking maybe in three or four episodes, they'll get back on point but it's a derailed train at the moment.
0: Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week.